A spiritual awakening is taking place around the globe, and you can be a part of it. For the first time ever in human history, we are truly one world. And now we must face the implications of what that means for our understanding of spirituality, the nature of reality, and one another. As a direct descendant of the founding families of one of today's largest global religions, I was born in the center of a worldwide spiritual crisis. Like my pioneer ancestors, I'm blazing a new trail, embracing a global sense of spirituality based on personal practice, spiritual community, and direct experience of the divine. I'm Benjamin William Decker. Welcome to the Modern Spirituality Podcast. What's up? It's Ben Decker. I just got back from a week-long silent retreat with none other than Deepak Chopra. And I have to say, that man continues to amaze. His ability to merge leading-edge science with the ancient teachings of world spiritual traditions had me on the edge of my seat every single time he spoke. I'm also a huge fan of the Chopra certification programs. Check it out if you want to deepen your well-being practices and develop techniques to teach others. You totally need one of the super prestigious Chopra certifications. If you're like me and love meditation, why not master meditation and learn how to give others their own personalized primordial sound mantra with the Chopra Meditation Teacher Certification? Or take a deep dive into Ayurveda, the centuries-old proven health and healing system with the Chopra Health Certification. Uh, maybe you'd like to help others thrive and find purpose with a mind-body-spirit approach. Then the Chopra Coaching Certification is for you. Get certified, grow your practice, grow yourself. Register today for a Chopra Global Online Certification at chopra.com slash certifications. And I have to say, I love the team at Chopra Global. They're really like soul family for me. So make sure to let them know that Ben Decker sent you and they'll take really good care of you. And again, that's chopra.com slash certifications. You will not regret it. Some of you may know that Marianne Williamson has been a huge part of my career and my spiritual journey. I first discovered her when she was running for Congress in Los Angeles and completely fell in love with her and her mission. And so when she ran for president, I dropped everything I was doing to support her presidential campaign. Uh, she says spirituality and politics are like Romeo and Juliet. They're really meant for each other, but their families try to keep them apart. So if you're like me, you're a modern spiritual practitioner with a deep desire to be a part of the global spiritual political awakening. You've got to check out Transform with Marianne Williamson, the new Substack newsletter. Receive updates on global issues from a spiritual perspective, along with tools to support your personal spiritual journey, all created and curated by spiritual teacher and political activist Marianne Williamson. Subscribe today at mariannewilliamson.substack.com. For this episode of the Modern Spirituality Podcast, one of my favorite topics is going to be discussed, and that is initiation. 
And so we're addressing initiation in the context of the experience of initiation, specifically experiencing ceremony, ordinance, and ritual. And so these are some words that mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So what I'm going to do is um, examine and explore their meaning from a collaborative spiritual perspective, meaning there are root words that each of these words have. They have purpose and meaning in all the different spiritual traditions from all over the world. And they also have innate natural occurrence. Uh, So we'll talk about what that means. And I'm going to share a couple specific stories about my experience throughout my life in ceremonial uh, ordinance and ritual. So I know a lot of you got back to me after the first episode, New World Religion. If you haven't listened to that, maybe check it out after this one. Uh, But I got a lot of feedback on that episode, people appreciating hearing about some of the particular experiences that I've had. So I'm going to continue with that vein where you're going to hear a couple stories of those specific crucial moments. So first of all, initiation, when we think of the word initiation, a lot of times what we think about are, you know, secret societies where someone is kidnapped and a hood's put over their head and they're taken into a dark room, the hood's pulled from over their head, and they're surrounded in a circle of people wearing masks and cloaks, red candles all over the room, and all kinds of other things come up too, like fraternities and sororities and all the hazing and the initiatory experiences there. But really, initiation just means to begin something new. And when we're being initiated, it means we're being brought into something. So an initiation is the activation of something that you've already learned, something that you've already experienced and gone through. So in the context of a sorority, you are taught, you're trained in the ways of the sorority, you're taught and trained in the bylaws and the approach and the values of the group you're going to join, and then you're initiated, you're inducted, you're brought into it, a new chapter is beginning. And so even though we might think of all these different things like academic institutions, schools, secret societies, religious organizations that have their initiatory process, life itself, nature, has its own natural initiatory process. And these are the things that when we go through them, everything changes. So some examples of a natural initiation, a natural initiatory process or a natural initiatory experience would be making love for the first time, would be having a child, getting married, having your heart broken for the first time, getting a new car, getting a driver's license. These are all different initiations. So think about getting your driver's license. You have to learn the laws, you have to learn the local ordinances, you have to learn how to use the device, meaning the car, you have to learn how to actually drive, you have to be tested, and then eventually you have the privilege and opportunity to drive, and before you know it, you're driving all the time. And that's how life works. Life has these rites of passage. And the word rite, um, R-I-T-E, rite of passage, comes from the same root word as ritual, R-I-T-U-A-L. Ritual and rite both come from the same root word as rite, as in R-I-G-H-T, as in correct. So 
when we're experiencing a rite of passage, when a ritual is being performed, we're doing something correctly. We're doing it just right. And another word that's synonymous with ceremonial ritual is ordinance. So if you're familiar specifically in spiritual context or religious context, the word ordinance is used when certain ceremonial practices are undergone. And ordinance comes from the same root word as order. And so it means you're doing things in perfect order. You're doing things orderly and in orderly fashion. And so why is that? Why do they need to be done just right? Why do they need to be done orderly? Because it's a channeling of divine energy. It's a partnership with a cosmic natural energy dynamic. And so you're playing something out. You're walking through a process where you are channeling an opportunity, you're channeling a moment, you're channeling divine energy for a specific purpose. Um, some, some very common initiations and rites of passage would be bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, baptisms. These are initiations into different chapters of our lives. In the case of a bat mitzvah or bar mitzvah, you're initiated into adulthood. I was baptized at age eight, and they were teaching us about what it means to become baptized. It means that all of the different things that you experienced and went through up until age eight, up until that baptism, they were going to be basically totally forgiven. Even Any mistake that you made, any karma that you accumulated would be completely released and forgiven and purified. And then you were at the age of accountability. And so starting the moment after that baptism, you first of all begin with a perfectly clean slate. And then you have the ability to accumulate new karma. You have the opportunity to activate all of those things that you've learned, how to behave, how to engage with the world, all of the practices that you learned. And if you fell short or if you made mistakes, you would then be held accountable for those things rather than being totally forgiven. Um, and so... A lot goes into that, but but when I was eight years old, um, I was the third of five children, so I had already seen my two older brothers get baptized. I had a lot of friends in the in the church, so I had seen a lot of different people go through the baptism process. There were people who were giving talks at church, lessons, um, even songs about baptism and what it meant, and I and I had to go through these one on one uh, sort of interviews with different members of leadership at the church and and things like that in order to make sure that I understood all of the details of the ritual that was going under. And that's a really important thing to understand. You don't just perform a ritual without knowing what you're getting into. The formalized training is to understand about every aspect of the initiation. And why is that? It's so that it can become more meaningful to you. 
So the more we're looking into it, the more we're understanding what's happening, the more we're present with what's happening, the more meaning it's going to have. And so in our lives, that's why we do our best to teach our kids about why we have to do certain things in certain ways when we're, when we're learning how to drive. That's why we do the best to teach our young about sex and sexuality before they begin to engage in sexual activity. And so when I was getting baptized, I was taught a couple really important things how to behave, what are the ways to communicate with God, what are the ways we can hear from the Spirit, how do I know if something is the right thing to do or or the wrong thing to do. And I was also taught the symbolic meaning of the color white, which symbolized being totally clean. The symbolism of the white clothing that I would wear when I entered into the baptism ritual. I also was taught the symbolism of the water in the baptism. And just like a bath, you you bathe yourself clean, you wash yourself clean. The baptismal water was a sacred representation of the power of the Holy Spirit to purify me, to purify us, to purify oneself. And so, pretty simple ritual, you wear all white, a priesthood holder, an officiant, wears all white also. You both enter into the water. It's about waist deep. And then you're dunked in the water with a special prayer. And and I remember I learned specifically that you had to be dunked one time completely underwater. That's the way this organization performed the ritual. And if a, a girl had a braid in her hair and the hair breach the surface of the water in the moment of the baptism, then she would have to be baptized again. And if your arm or any part of your body breached the surface, you'd have to do it again. And I remember the night before my baptism, I was partially very excited because it was also my eighth birthday, and my mom had planned this big party where after the baptism, everyone was going to be coming over to the house, and we had this big, beautiful house and big backyard, and we were going to have balloons everywhere, and I wanted the balloons on the ground. I remember that. I don't really remember why, but I wanted them all over the place on the ground. And so we we were blowing up the balloons ourselves, leaving them in the backyard on the ground, And my mom said, is there any special kind of food you want at the baptism? And I said, I want a big bowl of Snickers candy bars. (laughs) And she laughed at me. And for some reason, that's what I wanted. And she she gave it to me. She had all kinds of other hors d'oeuvres and all kinds of other wonderful things. My mom's great in the kitchen. Uh, She's actually a chocolatier and um, was always good at parties and always did things for large groups at the house. And this event was no different. We had we had all kinds of wonderful food. Uh, the, the house was really decorated. Everything was set up to host this big party inside and out. And everyone from the church, everyone from the community came. And I remember, sure enough, there was a big bowl. It looked like a punch bowl. A big bowl full of Snickers candy bars. <laughs> and it was like a little bit of trick-or-treat energy. And I remember throughout the night, people kept making jokes about it. And I was like, joke all you want. That's what I wanted. (laughs) But anyway, I digress. The night before my baptism, I remember feeling really uneasy. And the missionaries from the church came over and we would often feed the missionaries who who were out on their missions in our area. And they came over for dinner. And after dinner, we said a prayer, and they were reading some scripture passages, and sometimes we would sing a song, and I don't remember if we sang a song or not this particular night. But what we did was we discussed baptism. 
And I remember they said, I remember I had a couple questions. And they said, well, Ben, is there anything you want to know about the baptism? And I said, no, I think I understand the baptism. But I want to know about the very beginning. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, I want to know about the beginning of the world. And they said, well, Heavenly Father created the whole world. And he created it with Jesus. And I was like, okay, and where did they come from? They were like, well, they came from another world where they were people just like us. And they had to go through all different kinds of life experiences so that they could become who they are to this world. And first of all, that blew my mind. But then I remember being like, okay, and where did that world come from? And they said there was no beginning. And I was eight years old trying to wrap my head around this idea that there was no beginning. And so I think for me, that was the beginning of exploring the principle of eternity. And um, I was partially very uneasy and dissatisfied with that answer, and also partially extremely curious about this uh, notion of no beginning. I was very curious about the reality of eternity and the infinite, and it kept me up all night that night. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I was trying to figure out what I was getting myself into baptism-wise. I was like, is this even the right move? I was a little bit of a deep thinker at the time, and uh, started young, I guess. And I felt this presence, and it was this angelic presence that was like, look, no matter what, I'm here. And I believe that was my first conscious encounter with my holy guardian angel, And it was this presence that said, look, no matter what goes on, no matter what happens, I'm going to be with you. Just listen to me very, very closely. Just pay attention to me. I will guide you. And I I was like, okay, cool. And I, and I, you know, went to sleep the next day, got up. It was the big day. We ironed our clothes and I put on my suit and tie and the whole family came to the church. I remember my aunt Nancy was speaking at my baptism and she told this beautiful story about when her house burned down and she was a kid and she knew what to do. And I remember there was a lot of power in that story. And I was like, that was her holy guardian angel. That was the spirit telling her what to do. And so for me, I was feeling like everything was right on schedule. My mother and I sang a song about baptism together at the baptism ceremony. My father baptized me, and then my father gave me what they call the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the gift of the Holy Ghost is this idea that the Spirit of God is going to always be on you and around you and within you, and so that no matter what, as long as you're present— as long as you're listening, as long as you are making a sincere effort to do the right thing, you will always have that support and guidance and protection. And so it was a very special baptism, very special experience, very special event for the whole family. But I'll never forget when I was in the water 
this warm water, the whole family is like in this observation deck watching, and my dad is baptizing me, I remember hearing the voice of the Spirit. And my dad dunked me in the water. And this is going to sound kind of crazy, especially to other people who are in this tradition, any any Mormons out there. This is going to sound kind of funny, but I was guided to lift my my right leg up. So if that makes sense, I'm bending backwards to dip into the water and I stick my right leg straight up and the toe breaches the surface, which if you remember, that means we have to do it again. And everyone kind of laughed. Oh, ha, ha, ha. Well, and then my dad stood on my right foot, which didn't hurt at all. It was just under the water and it was no big deal. Just keeping my right foot down. And then I went down and this same voice told me to stick the left foot up. And my left foot breached the surface. And I came back up and they all laughed again. And they then my dad stood on both feet and baptized me a third time. Of course, that third time was the charm, I guess. And I think that for me at the time, I didn't quite understand the significance of that. But later I learned more about Kabbalistic ritual. And there are certain rituals where someone is dunked three times in baptism. And I believe that I was guided into a very personal spiritual path, that I was guided down a very personal, very intimate, highly individualized initiatory path. You know, over the years, you learn more. You know, there's you learn one thing and then you learn the next thing that builds on it, just like anything. You know, you have to learn to count before you learn to add and subtract. You have to learn to add and subtract before you learn to multiply and divide. You have to learn to multiply and divide before you learn uh, more advanced geometry and calculus, you know. And so, line upon line, precept upon precept is how we learn. That's the expression that we would always say. That's the quote. Line upon line, precept upon precept. Here a little and there a little. Meaning you learn little by little so that you can really, really develop a mastery over the wisdom. And so, around age 12, I entered into the priesthood. My grandfather um, initiated me into the priesthood. So, my line of succession or my priesthood lineage is through my grandfather, my mother's father. At age 14, I began performing the temple ordinances, which is a very similar ritual to the baptism, except now at age 14, in the temple, uh, these baptisms were no longer for us. They weren't for me, they were for and on behalf of someone who has died. And so this can be like something very unusual and very controversial, but for me it was very normal, and I had been learning about it for a very long time, so it was not scary or strange at all to me. Uh, but I remember the first time I went to the temple, I again wore my suit and tie. We met at the church on a Saturday morning, and we all carpooled over to the temple, which is a separate building. The church buildings where the the regular baptisms and the church services and classes and Sunday school and everything happened, the youth group and all that, choir, etc., was at the church building. But then these special ordinances, which all involve the other side of the veil or the spirit world, they all take place in the temple, which is a separate building altogether. There are thousands of church buildings, but only a few hundred of the temples all over the world. And I remember parking at the temple 
getting out of the car, seeing all my friends and their parents from church, everyone dressed like we're going to church, everyone's in their Sunday best, I'm in a suit and tie, my brothers are in suits and ties, uh, all, the, all the girls are in tights and dresses and have bows in their hair and all of that. And we walk into the church building, and as soon as we get in, the energy is very, very still and very peaceful. And the energy begins to shift as soon as you arrive in there. People stop speaking, and it's gorgeous. It's like entering into a palace. And there are crystal chandeliers and and bright pastel-colored stained glass windows. And it's all very elegant and very magical. And I think it was the most magical, beautiful place I'd ever been. And it's almost like some like Lord of the Rings elven castle kind of experience. Very elegant. Everything's white. Uh, The ceilings are very, very tall. And everyone inside the temple was wearing white. And so everyone changes. As soon as we walk in, we're wearing our suit and tie. We go into the changing room and we change into our temple clothes, which are all white. And so now the, the adult men are wearing white suits and ties white suits, white ties, white shoes, white belts. The women are all wearing white dresses. And um, we entered into the room where the baptisms for the dead were going to take place. You know, it was very interesting to see all of those people wearing all white and in this very reverent, peaceful state. And we enter into the room where the the baptismal font is where the baptism for the dead ritual takes place. And it's, it's almost like a round room, tall ceilings. And I believe it had like a dome along the, the top of the room on the inside. And you can, you can Google image search this. Uh, I would search LDS temple baptismal font, and you'll get all kinds of images of what these, what these rooms look like. And in the center of the room, there are 12 oxen. And oxen are like bulls. So they're like cows with big horns. 12 statues of oxen in the center of the room. And they are, they're, they're like butts are all right next to each other. So they're all facing out. And on their backs is a baptismal font. Like picture like a magical hot tub. You know, it's like a four foot deep, 10 foot in diameter circle pool or bath resting on the backs of these 12 oxen. And on one side, from the side of the room, there's like this two-story observation deck kind of space. And there's a, a small staircase that goes into one side of the baptismal font. And then there's a small staircase exactly across it that comes down the other side. And, you know, you take turns, and when it was my turn, I'm wearing all white, all my friends are standing around wearing all white watching, and I walk down one staircase into the water, and my father walked down the other staircase into the water. And there's an officiant, someone sitting in a chair nearby with all the names. And these are either names of ancestors or of other people's ancestors who were not members of the church when they were alive who now we were baptizing them 
after their death. And so the person being baptized, me in this case, 14-year-old me, I was doing it on behalf of the ancestors. It's this it's a very similar prayer that uh, my dad said when I was baptized when I was 8 years old, but this time it was not for me, it was for and on behalf of blank this person full name the full name of the person who was dead and then he dunked me in the water and that person in the spirit world would have the, all of the blessings and the gifts of having been baptized and then we do it again and again and again and again for all these different people who've died and this is a very special moment because in this place, you know, not only are these temples very sacred places because of how we are when we're in them, but from the very beginning, they're prophetically selected. Where they're going to be built is very particular. The location where they're going to be built, the piece of land where they're going to be built is very meticulously chosen. And then the measurements of the buildings and the geometry and the entire layout of the entire building built from scratch. These aren't old buildings that are remodeled. These are brand new buildings built from scratch to very specific specifications. And everything, every detail inside them is designed to help facilitate these sacred rituals, these sacred circumstances. And when the temples are finished being built... You can go in and tour them and see all the different rooms in them and everything. There's often a lot of original artwork, original murals, very, very beautiful, elegant places. Again, search interior LDS temple on Google image search. You'll get all, you'll get a whole dose of it. But then one day the temples are dedicated through a special ceremony called the Hosanna Shout. And so they do a whole blessing and a special ceremony where the entire community dedicates this building and we hold a handkerchief in our hand and we, and we wave it in the air and we, and we shout Hosanna. And there's a couple other details to that, but, but essentially it's a very participatory ceremony and uh, a really beautiful thing. So all of these different things f- feed into the psyche and into the vibrational quality of the property and of the building. And so you're in a very, very well-maintained container of sacred, pure energy when all of this is happening. So when you're doing the baptisms for the dead, often people will share that they saw glimpses of their ancestors, they saw angels in the room, they felt the presence. More often than not, you can feel the presence of something there. And it's very peaceful and very sacred. Sometimes it'll bring a tear to someone's eye. Sometimes it will bring inspiration. Sometimes it'll... Most commonly, what you'll hear is that it brings peace. That a sense of peace washes through us, that fears and anxiety are eliminated, and you know, a sense of being in the right place at the right time, being guided, being doing the right thing, that kind of thing. That's like the overall sense. And so we did this, I don't know, dozens of times. And we went back to the temple, went to different temples in the area to go perform these sacred ordinances. And the idea is that all of the people are being blessed on the other side, that we're able to help elevate their spirits, journey, uh, through these ordinances that we can do in, on this side in, in this lifetime, you know, and so over the years, I 
uh, I shared a little bit about this in the first episode, but I found myself exploring other religions, other traditions, uh, and finding the similarities, and and really following that guidance of of my guardian angel, following the the guidance of the spirit, and trying to do the right thing. Of course, I had all kinds of times where I did things right, wasn't trying to do the right thing, made all kinds of mistakes, and all that, you know. Um, but the next story that I wanted to share is something that was a a ceremonial initiatory ritual that happened outside of a religious structure that happened somewhat automatically. And now in the first episode of the Modern Spirituality Podcast, I shared about a shamanic initiation that I experienced. And this one that I'm sharing now had no... I, I entered into an altered state, but there was no medicine. There was n- no pranayama. It was just a supernatural experience that happened automatically. And so I was approaching the age 30. I had been studying Egyptian spirituality, its relationship to Freemasonry, its relationship to the LDS church rituals, uh, and its relationship to shamanism and other and other traditions, the Kabbalah, the, the Vedic traditions, Greek and Roman spirituality, and and also cymatics, the quality of vibration to impact form and physical matter. And so the organization that I was studying through had a program that all of the graduates were invited to go to Egypt on this trip. And so I, you know, did everything I could, finished up this program as soon as possible, worked double time to wrap it up and graduate in time to be eligible to go on this trip to Egypt. And it was more than just a learning trip. There was going to be a whole conference there with all these different wonderful scholars and Egyptologists and some of them very famous people uh, teaching what really went on in the different pyramids, what really went on in all of the different sacred sites. But in addition to that, there was also going to be a special full moon ceremony that was taking place. You see, this was happening during one of the rare moments when the three pyramids of Giza were in perfect alignment with the three stars of the constellation of Orion, Orion's belt, the three stars of Orion's belt. And it also happened to be the week of my 30th birthday, and it was a full moon in Aries, so I was like, I'm so going to that. You know, one thing led to another, and I was able to go, and I went with some of my close friends at the time, and we were part of this wonderful journey, and I had to stay super caffeinated because every day were these long lectures of such intense, advanced information, and then we went on all these tours of all these different places, and then finally... We got to this culminating moment where we were getting ready to do this midnight ritual, literally in the middle of the night, midnight ritual, full moon, my 30th birthday. The stars of Orion's belt are perfectly aligned with the three pyramids of Giza. We get to the plateau. We're all wearing white. There's probably about a hundred of us uh, there for this conference, and there's too many of us to go into the pyramids all at once. So the first group goes into the main pyramid and then they do their thing and then they come out and then they go into the second pyramid and the second group goes into the first pyramid and then they rotate out. The first group then goes to the third pyramid. The second group then goes to the second pyramid and then I was in the third group. 
So when I went into the main pyramid, if you've ever been, you have to really duck and kind of crawl and it's total Indiana Jones vibes when you're going into these pyramids. And we were in the inner chamber of the of the Great Pyramid. They call it the King's Chamber. And something that's interesting to note, um, there's something in the King's Chamber, in the inner chambers of all three of these pyramids called the sarcophagus. And traditional Egyptology sees them as a tomb. And this is where supposedly a mummy would have been. But something that I learned on this trip was that there's no historical evidence, there's no record ever of a mummy being found in these inner chambers of these pyramids. And so it is believed that these pyramids were not tombs, but that they were temples. When I entered into the pyramid, I could tell that it was a temple. I could feel the energy of the temple. It reminded me of the temple ceremonies that we had performed um, with my family in our temples. And, you know, picture this. All three pyramids, midnight, full moon, the pyramids are perfectly lined up with the three stars of Orion's belt. There's a group in the inner chamber of all three pyramids, and I'm in the Great Pyramid, in the King's Chamber of the Great Pyramid, and I'm laying down on the altar, slash in the sarcophagus. I'm laying down on this altar, and everyone around me is chanting, Om, Om, And so, I enter into an altered state, again, totally sober. Uh, and they're not chanting just three times. They're chanting over and over and over and over again. And all wearing white, very sacred. And for a moment, I thought that someone turned on a flashlight or turned on lights in the room because I started to feel a brightness fill the room. And I was surrounded by the presence of dozens of powerful gods. And I could start to make out their faces and I could start to see that these were the Egyptian gods and the Vedic Hindu gods and the Greek and Roman gods and, and a number of different pagan gods, different gods that I had learned about in the past that I recognized, easily recognized. And what I noticed about them was that they were exhausted that they were all so old. And there was a knowing. I had a knowing that they were the old gods, if that makes sense. And they each spoke to me, and they each had their own language. But I understood them all. And the message that came from them as a group was that their time was coming to an end. And that their people had lost connection to them. And they were exhausted. They had been working so long and serving so long. But it was time for something to change. And they essentially provided me with this inspiration, which felt more like an assignment. And they said, you have to find our people. You have to reunite our people. They've forgotten that they were supposed to seek each other out. 
And the only thing that they will all agree on is silence. And then they were gone. And I was in a second vision where at the time I was living in Hollywood, Los Angeles, and I had a two-bedroom place. My second bedroom was set up like an office where I did my writing and meditation and things like that. And in my vision, I was sitting on the floor in my office and I had papers everywhere and books everywhere. And I was so busy. And I remember being really busy, finishing something up, and there was a box of donuts sitting there. An open box of donuts. I don't know why. I don't know. It was kind of strange to me too. But then the vision was over and it was time for me to get up. I was back in the pyramid. It was time for me to get up out of the sarcophagus, off the altar, and crawl down into the second pyramid and then the third pyramid. And there was a beautiful moment on the altar of all three of the inner chambers, but it was that first one where that vision came through. When we were all finished going through all three of the pyramids, we're basking in the silver moonlight that lit up the entire desert there and listening to the howling coyotes in the distance. And a number of the people there were looking up at the sky and saying, oh, do you see that? Do you see that? And they're all seeing UFOs and they're all seeing all different kinds of phenomena in the sky. But for me, I had just gone through this transcendental experience, so I actually didn't notice anything in the sky. I also wasn't wearing my glasses, so there's that. But I was definitely in awe and in the awareness that something very powerful and sacred had just happened. I was a little confused by it, but I was just trusting. We went back to the resort. must have been about four in the morning. I woke up the next day and checked my email, and... I had an email in my inbox, and the subject said, Meditation Book Deal Offer. Okay, and I had never published a book at the time, and I was convinced that it was some kind of scam. And long story short, it wasn't a scam. It was a real book deal that I got paid to do, and it was my first book. But what was so powerful about that coming through after that vision with all of the old gods was that throughout the course of that book, and that book was Practical Meditation for Beginners, I wrote that entire book throughout the course of the creation of that book. It was written with the infusion of that vision and the intention to carry out, to the best of my ability, that intention of sharing silence, transcending cultural and religious separation, and sharing silence. You know, I had felt like there was this request or this call or this assignment or this mission brought to me by the old gods that came to me in Egypt so that I could be a part of this important process through which the world would be reunited, where the people of the world would see themselves as one family through the power of silence. Spirit's the only thing that can hear us when we're silent. The Spirit's the only thing that can really speak to us in silence. And so I just have to say, uh, one thing leads to another. I'm writing this book, 
and it's it's actually due on Christmas Day, I think. It's like that it's due like the week of Christmas or right around Christmas Day. And I wasn't able to go home and see my family that year because I was finishing everything up on the book. I remember sitting in my Hollywood apartment, papers everywhere. I'm on the floor in my in my second bedroom, and I've got all these books out that I was using for reference material, and I'm organizing my chapters, and I've got them all all over the place, and I start to have deja vu. And I start to realize, wow, I'm exactly where the Spirit told me I would be. I'm right on my path. I'm doing exactly what I was supposed to be doing. I was led right into this moment. I was shown this moment when I was in Egypt, and I'm right where I'm supposed to be. And the doorbell rings, and I get up and I go answer the door, and it was a delivery of a dozen donuts. No kidding. It was a dozen donuts, and they were all like, they said Merry Christmas or something on them. They were all set up like Christmas wreaths and all decorated very um, festive for the holiday. And I, I called my family, I called some of my friends, and no one admitted to sending me these donuts. So I have no clue to this day who sent me those donuts. But the donuts were like a very simple, subtle indication that I was exactly in the fulfillment of that vision. It didn't need to be anything more dramatic than that. It just needed to be a clue, like an Easter egg, just a signal that I was on the right path. And so that's what I learned from that moment is to really listen to the guidance and follow through. And through the symbolic interpretation of all the different challenges and experiences that we have in our lives, and through the willingness to pay attention to our dreams, and to pay attention to our visions, and to listen to the still small voice, we can actually be guided and inspired down a very powerful, beautiful, fulfilling path. And so I believe that even if you haven't done special ceremonial initiations when you were a kid, even if you weren't raised in a secret society, and even if you haven't gone into sacred pilgrimages to ancient sites all over the world, you can still have those direct experiences with the divine. Because I don't think it was it was Egypt that did that. I don't think it was any of those outside circumstances that created those moments for me. I think it was the sincerity of my heart, the sincerity of my willingness to try to do the right thing. Because I believe that there's a great work that the spirit world is trying to do with each and every one of us on this planet. And I really believe with all of my heart that if we can open our hearts and minds to being a part of that and being humble in our approach to it, then we will be used by the divine forces to help actualize that plan. And we will be given everything we need to do it. We'll be given the inspiration We'll be given the guidance. And yes, we will be given the opportunities. So I really believe all of these things. I believe in the power of ordinance. I believe in the power of ritual. I believe in the power of ceremony. And I believe in our ability to actualize divine potential through the technology of ritual, ceremony, and ordinance. And so the most important thing that I want to encourage you to take with you here is the idea that you are never alone. That even if you don't have a relationship with a holy guardian angel, that there is a still small voice that will speak to you in ways that you can hear and ways that you can understand.
And that's my testimony, and I believe that that is true. And I believe that every single person within the sound of my voice right now can be spoken to by the Spirit right now, whether it's a knowing, whether it's chills, whether it's a tear in the eye, whether it's a synchronicity or a sign. I believe that if you are open to it, you will receive it, and it will lead you and guide you to more peace, more fulfillment, and more purpose. Find me on Instagram. My contact info is in the show notes. I'd love to hear some of the rituals that you've experienced, some of the natural initiations or the visions or the mystical experiences that have inspired you. What has inspired you? What are some of the things that you've gone through? Hit me up. Let's touch base. Let's talk. I would love to learn more about you and what you have gone through and what you're going through now. Let me know how I can support you. Share with me the beautiful things that you've gone through and let's get to know each other better. Thank you for everything. Thank you for being here and I'll see you soon. Every year, at least once a year, I lead a wellness retreat in Costa Rica at the beautiful Rhythmia Life Advancement Center, the first ever medically licensed resort to offer ayahuasca plant medicine. This very well could be the best place in the entire world to experience plant medicine. Everything is expertly tailored to your comfort to help provide you with the best possible transformational experience. I always look forward to my retreats every year. It really is a deeply profound experience. It's like stepping into some kind of a heaven dimension for a week. There are daily yoga and meditation classes, plant medicine preparation and integration workshops, a great spa with volcanic mud baths, state-of-the-art fitness facility, super relaxing pool, hot tub, cool plunge, cozy cabanas, and you can get colonics. There's delicious organic food at the restaurant and some of the best massage therapists I've ever experienced. For real, they are absolute healers over there. And all of this is included. Like I said, this is a medically licensed facility. So everything is medically overseen and totally safe. And the medicine ceremonies, which happen for four nights, Monday through Thursday, they're led by loving, respectful shamans trained in the Colombian tradition. It's really, really an amazing experience. Uh, visit rhythmia.link slash Decker event. That's R-Y-T-H-M-I-A, rhythmia.link, L-I-N-K, slash Decker event, D-E-C-K-E-R, my last name, event, E-V-E-N-T. And check in about my upcoming dates, or if those dates don't work for you and you won't be able to join me there, go ahead and book when it's convenient for you and see one of the many other world-renowned thought leaders in residence. Make sure to let them know that you are my friend, that you're a friend of Ben Decker, so that they give you the best deal possible. Rhythmia really is my home away from home, and I know that you will love it as much as I do. Hey, it's Ben Decker, and I just have to thank you again for listening to the Modern Spirituality Podcast. For information on anything mentioned here, you can check out the show notes below. You can also get in touch with me via twitter.com slash bendecker, instagram.com slash Benjamin W. Decker, or email me at bendecker at modernspiritualitypodcast.com. It really does mean so much to me that you're here with me on the modern spirituality journey. I'm genuinely super excited about what I've got planned for these next few episodes. 
So really make sure to subscribe to the Modern Spirituality Podcast so you can get in on what I've got coming up. And if this is resonating for you, if anything here helped or inspired or entertained you at all, please, please do rate this podcast and leave me a review. It means so much more than you might realize. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you again.